Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. It's Friday, October 9th. It's National Nanotechnology Day here in the U.S. Let me encourage you, take 15 minutes. If you want, just hop off this episode, go check it out. It's pretty dang cool stuff. Actually, you know what? Go ahead and listen to it. But find 15 minutes later in your day, your lunch break, etc. Take 15 minutes, go read the wiki entry, especially if you've never looked into this. Uh, the, the uses, the opportunities, uh, the technology, it, it's just all fascinating. So gentlemen, what do y'all think? Have you ever looked into nanotechnology? Ever done anything with it? Nanotechnology is pretty much why I pursued uh, engineering in college. I remember actually throwback to last episode, uh, the stuff that would come out in um, Scientific American about nanotech and what was going to happen, especially in the material sciences space, um, where you know they were talking about all of the amazing properties of graphene and other carbon nanotube stuff, and then you know micro engines, which ended up actually being developed uh, one or not sorry micro nano engines. Um, one one working example of which was actually developed, I think, right up the street at UTD when I was in college or when we were in college. Um, but yeah, I, I love nanotech. I, I think it's fascinating. And I'm I, the only thing that saddens me about nanotech is that half the things Scientific American told me were going to be in my flying cars don't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the uh, one of the ones I've always uh, or the one, one of the earlier versions of it that fascinated me was the super hydrophobicity. I think yes. I'm saying that right, where water droplets just rolls off of, you know, everything like it just won't yeah. stick. Hydrophobic anyway. materials are cool. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait until we have the ones that are, you know, actually transparent. Because my understanding is that's one of the biggest problems with hydrophobic materials. Is okay, yeah, you can get it, you can spray it on there. I mean, it's not uh, fringe science at this point. But finding one that works as a windshield, not as easy. Finding one that you can integrate into paint, also not as easy. So, yeah, I've never had uh, much exposure to like practical use cases for nanotech. So I think the only thing I ever think of is what I see in movies. It's like, we're going to inject you with nanoites and they're going to go defeat this disease or, or something Dude, like that. That's legit though. So before yeah. my sister moved into yeah. the energy okay, field, then. yeah, before she moved over there, I'm pretty sure maybe she listens to this. She can correct me, come on the show, talk about it. But she worked with nanotechnology specifically around cancer. Um, <clears throat> I think that's she cool. was in Sandia national labs or something like that in New Mexico, um, as part of her like master's degree. I, I don't know. I'm sorry, McKinsey. I, I don't know the details. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was super I awesome. don't know what you do. <laughs> something it's about okay. nanotubes. I don't, I don't think I can describe what my sister does either. <laughs> yeah. Nanotubes and, uh, and, and defeating cancer. So it's pretty cool. cool. It is cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot of nanotechnology that's actually in products we use now. And that's the thing is that all the hype sort of, you know, went away, went through that cycle. And now it's actually in products, but you're just not as familiar. But we also uh, like to pollute stuff like that pretty quickly when it comes to marketing. It would be like Gore-Tex with nanotechnology. It's been around for years. It hasn't changed at all, but we're going to call it nanotechnology-based stuff because... At some level, it has nanoparticles in it or something along those right. lines, right? Yeah, no, it was like uh, extreme in the what was that, <laughs> late 80s, early 90s where everything was X-T-R-E-M-E. Yeah. Extreme That's deodorant, so extreme cornflakes. Yes, anyway. extreme cornflakes. <laughs> mm. Extreme tromboning. No. 
Yeah. All right. Let's get into news. Let's get into some other news here. Uh, okay. Let's. Uh, it's Friday. Let's start with a fun one here. Let's see. Sylvester Stallone is playing Rambo in Mortal Kombat. Sly, baby. Woo! He's, what? He's voicing awesome. it. He's doing ah, it. Yeah. Nice. And uh, Russ, I wanted to get your opinion on this since you actually know who Doctor Disrespect is. Uh, I paid attention to him a little bit one day, uh, but they said that they need to do a Doctor Disrespect skin of Stallone. Or Rambo, rather, in Mortal Kombat, is that is is that character Doctor Disrespect? Is he modeled after Rambo, or does he just have a lot of like? Similar- he he's modeled after like the eighties persona of a action hero. Yes, which, which that's awesome. Obviously, Rambo meets one yeah. minor problem. Oh. Sylvester Stallone, I think, is like four eight, and he's, he's tiny. Doctor Disrespect is, really? is like nine seven. It's just a a dramatic difference in height. But yeah, Sylvester Stallone, Sly, who I love, I absolutely love um, all of the stuff he does. I mean, I even saw the the latest, I think it was Rambo film where he was like at home and it was a B movie, but I watched every second of it. Yeah, Uh, you have to. And yeah, I love it, but that's, I I don't know how that's going to work out for him. Um, Speaking of Dr. Disrespect, he has a uh, Halloween costume, I think, that is releasing and I'm sure that a lot of you're going to see some Dr. Disrespects running that. around on Halloween night. That's nice. fantastic. I might not <laughs> oh, yeah. be Dr. Disrespect this year. A short, <laughs> obviously right. short Dr. Disrespect. <laughs> well, taller than Stallone, maybe. Right, how tall are you? Stallone's 5'10". Five, you're 5'10". Five, uh, no, I'm not. I'm 5'9". 5'9"? So okay. Well, you're yeah, I can make Stallone ten. look huge. Yeah, lots of low camera <laughs> angles for Stallone in the, in the movie. Yep. I remember reading about that a long time ago. That is that's interesting. <laughs> oh man. Okay, what that's else awesome. do we got here? Um, I saw Musk, which has as we've increasingly talked about Elon more and more, or as we've talked about him, I guess plentiful on the show. Nice. I've gotten a lot of comments just kind of offline from people about their distaste and kind of who he is and what he stands for and what he does um i, I guess I maybe i just say that people the wrong way just, yeah I, I he's so. very outspoken and yeah. i think with that you're going you're going to get a lot of people who you know obviously like what you do and then you're also going to get a lot of detractors that's just the yeah. reality of that type of thing he's so I, public I, about his opinions yeah but the reason i bring that piece up specifically is because i just want to say like every time we talk about elon and I and I speak for myself, but I think I'm speaking for both y'all as well. Like the things that he's doing and talking about are pretty darn interesting, right? <laughs> yep. Outside agree. of maybe his politics or his sure. personality or you know his character or how he treats his his employees or whatever, right? Um, I I maybe wrongfully don't dig into that as much as I do just kind of the general technology that he talks about. Um. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. So I try try not to focus on the negatives of of what I see, if if at all possible. Um, Like, for instance, you know, we talk about people talk about athletes a lot. And they're like, well, I don't like this athlete for this reason. And I'm like, I don't know this athlete personally. My relationship with them is they are phenomenal at what they do. And I enjoy watching it. Yeah. I just don't don't judge them on any other. I like that perspective, too. I I also think that's it's um, it highlights an issue I have with uh, what I, I guess will I will just crop into the hero worship category, right? Like, 
I'm not going to go pick apart everything I disagree with Elon Musk, especially because we're talking about technology and he does a lot of cool stuff with technology. He also says some incendiary things about other technologies, which is just fun to talk about. It's a conversation starter. But I'm not worshiping as a hero. I'm also not going right. to dive into the stuff, like like you said, Russ, that's, that's just going to detract from what makes those topics interesting. It, that doesn't mean we don't have conversations like that. It's just that's not my focus. I don't I don't want to get embroiled in the political or or some of that stuff all the time. But the technology that he's involved in, like I would talk about all day every day. Yeah, yeah I think if you could pick a person, like if you had a list of people that was like you 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 get an hour with this person to speak to him, I think Elon would be on the short list for me to be honest. Yeah, I think so too. It just seems sure. very interesting. I you know I'm sure he has a lot of nice. Oddities about him in general. Open invitation, Elon. We'd love to have you on the show. This seems right up your alley. That's all we do. Technology and opinions. Bring it. And to to your point, too, about hero worship, um, and I'm not trying to get so philosophical this morning, but, uh, you know, caution you against it um, in all cases. Yeah. Uh, As many cases as you can, you know, whether that's a, a parental figure or somebody, you know, up the chain from you at work or, you know, an the athlete host or of your favorite breakfast tech podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not your heroes. No. Um, but no, I've always liked, uh, I don't know if y'all watch American Ninja Warrior. It's one of only two shows that my family watches and my daughters absolutely love Jesse Graff and she's all about being your own hero, which I think is a pretty powerful message and one that I'm a big fan of. So anyway, that little commercial, but all that end around to just say, uh, he Elon said uh, yesterday that he believes his uh, his um, auto manufacturing plant can build five hundred thousand cars this year. That's awesome. He scaled me... up so fast. Yes, that's what well, I was going to say. Do we know what he was making before? Does it say the traction? <sighs> I don't think well, that, I, I, I don't have the relative. Yeah, they, beat, they beat expectations this year. That's all I remember, and I want to say it was in like the hundred to two hundred thousand range. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, and, and maybe don't quote me on that. Even oh, here we go. We it did. says the bullish target comes after the automaker announced it delivered nearly 140,000 cars yeah. in the third quarter of the year. Oh, so that whoa. it's showing what they did in, in a quarter recently. So yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, is they're, that, they're that's, that's a much bigger number than I thought. Then 140,000 yeah. in a quarter. I thought that was an annual number from my recollection. So yeah, that's not hard to believe at all. Then yeah, they're on pace to beat 500,000 for 2020 which wow. just seems wild. Yeah. And so wow. none of the three of us have a Tesla, but there's lots of people that listen to the show that have Teslas. And there's also um, MK, MKBHD, if you still want to come on the show. Again, open invitation. I know he has a Tesla. Come on and talk about it. Now, I don't know that he's bought one recently, but those of you all that have bought one recently or had one delivered recently, rather, same thing, I guess. Maybe you buy it and then you wait a while. But I'm curious about quality. I'm curious uh, about that, right? At that level of uh, production. So, or maybe anybody that um, is actually working to produce the cars. If any of y'all listeners know somebody that uh, is in the factories, I would love to have a chat with one of those people. So, man, I actually know a guy that has worked for Tesla for a really long time. Now that you say that out loud, he was, uh, he was in the manufacturing technology group that I was with at Lockheed like a decade and change ago. And he left uh, the year I started full time to go to Tesla before I even knew what Tesla was. And I think he might still be there. I'm going to have to go hit him up. Hmm. Yeah. Get him on the show. Other news, uh, tangentially related and kind of around some of the things I was mentioning right at the beginning. Um, there's news too, that Tesla has officially dissolved its PR department. 
And what? I think there's a bunch of there was a bunch of backlash on that. I guess people were, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it was. Some people were saying things to me around. I guess Elon didn't like what they were saying, or maybe how they were representing him. So he fired everybody and shut it down. Um, Interesting. So I, I don't know. That's that's all I know. All I saw. But uh, uh, I wanted to see something that compared to this. What we're talking about. So I, I know the F one fifty, which is what I drive, is um, one of the most popular. It's definitely the most popular truck in is. America, and it's one of the most. No, it's the it's the number one sold vehicle car. Okay, that's truck. that's what I thought, but I I didn't yep. want to state it without knowing for sure. And so they sold. Now this isn't saying built. I'm trying to find how many built, but they sold more than nine hundred thousand in two thousand nineteen. Boy, so built more than that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, which, you know, I, I'm sure that counts vehicles that were 2000, maybe 18 models or 17, mm. and who knows. But, you know, just the fact that they're selling over 900,000 means that I'm sure they probably could make 500,000 in a year, would be my yeah. guess. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see it relative to a more traditional vehicle that's sold a lot of. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it looks like they're definitely creeping up to what I would consider, you know, the big boys, obviously, of the yeah, industry. Well, not even creeping. Well, I, I mean, so as I said that, one. I maybe, no, I guess maybe I'm not. Yeah. 909,000. Okay. That's what it was. I'm sorry. I thought maybe I was wrong. And I was pulling up things, lists on Google that looked like maybe the Toyota Camry or something like that. But uh, no, it's it, nothing comes close. Yeah, that's. I'm a big fan of my F-150. I'll probably get another one at some point. And (laughs) let's wait for the Twitter jokes about me getting my F-250 stuck in the mud. Uh They're coming. Best YouTube video ever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What else we got in the news? Let's keep pushing here. We only got 10 minutes left in the show. Oh, man. Move fast. Yeah, geez, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here. Hey, something I want to touch on before we forget to to do it is the I, I was reading more into the um, the physics Nobel Prize last night, no. and um, the I think one of the more interesting pieces that I found was actually about um, that Andrea Gates, the uh, yeah the the woman that was awarded the partial awarded of the prize. So it turns out that her and uh, Reinhard Genzel simultaneously effectively about 25 years ago because uh, they were both in different hemispheres but they independently experimentally proved that there was a supermassive black hole at the center of our, our galaxy wow. um which which i was oh, the center of our galaxy yeah yeah well so so oh, and this, this, this is another this is a cool part right is that yeah. um this is actually something that's predicted by einstein's uh, theory of general relativity that that mm-hmm. there are you can basically see the curvature of space. I, I didn't get into all the details, but the, it looks like the way that they were doing it is they were making um, some rapid, quote unquote, changes to their, the telescopes that they had access to, to remove um, atmospheric aberrations from readings that they were doing. And then they just poured through ridiculous amounts of data and were able to use, I believe, some of Roger Penrose's math as well to sort of prove that that part of the theory of general relativity was accurate. So they experimentally proved something that Einstein had postulated, you know, quite some time before. Um, but it was neat because they both did it at the same time. And uh, her, the article that I read about her was really interesting because she was 25 years old at the time when she really started pushing for this. And she what was asking- What am I asking, doing with my life? I know, right? <laughs> she was asking the department um, that that was- uh, I guess, in charge of the telescope. And I, and I forgot the name and I don't have it right in front of me, but it's uh, a telescope that's um, in, at 
a 14,000 foot elevation in Hawaii. And um, she, she convinced them to make changes that they considered to be risky to the telescope. So she was asking them to do something that could potentially damage the telescope um, because she believed that she could use those adjustments to prove that that this yeah. existed and sure enough she was right and that's that's how she she kind of got it and i didn't didn't get to read the same level of detail but apparently genzel was doing the same thing uh, in a different part of the world at around the same time so they both independently you know discovered this and and as a point of reference if i remember it's the the supermassive black hole uh, at the center of our galaxy is estimated to be or i don't even know that it's estimated i'm not sure that's the right word anymore i believe it might be measured to be Roughly 400 million times the mass of our sun, just you know, rough sure. magnitude. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> but how cool is that? I mean, it is pretty cool. Um, black holes are very dense, and our sun is actually on the small side of the True. relative scale for stars. Not, I think I'm, our I'm not trying to take black hole maybe be as well. Actually, um, the what? We look at large. I think our our super the the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy, mm-hmm. which I believe is it go or sorry. Yeah, uh, I think it goes beyond the Milky Way, but I forget exactly what the limits are or where that is. But effectively, like you hear Milky Way, that's that's our galaxy, the the supermassive black hole at the center of it. I don't think it's big compared to other galaxies, mm. which yeah. is okay. Yeah, it's all curious and fascinating. Gotcha. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do you want to touch on here? Um, Baker's Half Dozen was released yesterday, I believe. So, um, yeah, Matt Baker, he's SVP of strategy for Dell Tech, and he has a uh, he has his own show. I think they just, well, let me see, episode 16, Baker's Half Dozen. Uh, if you want to go check it out, topics in that episode, uh, he touched on AI in a dogfight with plane. We, we've talked about that before. That one is That topic that is wild. awesome. Yeah, definitely something. You, yeah, go dig into more. Um, he touched on uh, floppy drives, which he made I love a comment he, about. He actually explains yeah. what a floppy drive is, which I like wouldn't even occur to me needs to happen, but it was great. I <laughs> yeah. have not listened to this episode. Can someone bring me up to speed on why we're talking about 3.5 inch floppy drives? So there was a tweet. So the way they do the show is he responds to tweets out there in the Twitter sphere and then talks about it a little bit more within you know, the, the confines of kind of general strategy or, um, you know, the movement of technology, sure. The way things are changing in our world. Right. And there was a tweet that was about how in 747s, they still use floppy disks, uh, to do upgrades, to do software upgrades. Right. That's so he was talking about that a little bit. Yeah. That's and then he went crazy. into, yeah. Right. It is. Yeah. He went into um, the remote workforce um, and how all that stuff's changing. It's it's um, interesting for me to hear as a Dell employee, uh, you know, the head of our strategy talk about the you know the the power, the staying power of remote um, working, right, and how it's transitioning. And he kind of related it to uh, maybe some of the potential side effects that you might see in American politics, even right. Uh, as sure. people flee, I, I don't want to give away all his his uh, his punchlines. Go check it out. Uh, but he, he talks about how some of that stuff changes. Um, gets into you know remote schooling, the ethics of tracking user data, et cetera. So, sort of been a to topic sure. du jour for for us this week at, at yep. SHI and and with our customers during a, a customer advisory board session that we did. So it's yeah. uh, interesting that he's kind of hitting on it at the same time. Yeah, man. All right, um, I saw some news for Cisco yesterday. 
I think Cisco is laying off their, or like a portion of their. I saw uh, that too. I didn't see the details on it. Yeah. It's like a tech support community in the PAC Northwest. I think I saw. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Um, I saw, I saw a bunch of people uh, retweeting it saying, Hey, bunch of good people hitting the market right now. Um, So, uh, you know, best of luck to those folks. I don't know anybody that was part of that group um, or really maybe what that group was about, but yeah, me neither. Just a heads up there. What else? What else? Um, Man, there's uh, one topic that I think we're going to have to bring on to another show because we're not going to have enough time to get into it. But uh, this is something that I really haven't been tracking, but I think is going to have massive impact to the tech industry as a whole. But the Google versus Oracle case. Um, oh, my gosh. We need, we need 10 years. Yeah, we do. It, it's a lot. Uh, and if I understand, and Russ, feel free to jump in. But um, basically, it is a fundamental question about whether or not APIs are copyrightable. Um, and so Google is arguing that they're not, they're execution calls, and that that isn't uh, unique. And Oracle, of course, is saying, yeah, it is. Google owes us a lot of money because they built Android off of Java, effectively. Which, yeah, I'll, wow. I'll give you the, the wow. real quick rundown off of this. That's it's basically, crazy. you know, whenever you build software, you you reuse a lot of things. Libraries mm-hmm. are often, you know, a part of it. Um, obviously, you turn in, you, you tag into the API. Well, Oracle, back in the 70s, they, they did this to IBM. A lot of people don't know this, but IBM created SQL. Um, and whenever Oracle in what, you know, IBM did was obviously it was SQL is extensible. They, people could tie in and kind of look at the, the guts of it. And Oracle created their Oracle database. They weren't even called Oracle at the time. The company is named after the product. And, and, and they, they built that off of what IBM had created at, uh, as they'd created SQL. They, they literally kind of took it and made a very compatible version of another database so that things that worked within SQL at the time would work within Oracle. It's exactly yeah. what Google has done with Android and Java. And that is exactly what almost every software company has done for the history of forever. I was actually, so I was reading on this last night and I have followed it across the last decade. If this was to be tried, if they tried to do this in any other country around the world, literally any one of them, they would not be able to actually take this to court because it is it was it's already legal everywhere else to be able to do this. And pretty much any software company not named Oracle would agree with Google on this matter. So the. This well, is it, there's a lot at risk Google, here. Google losing this is not going to be good in in general. For anyone. I think that is yeah, that that is almost universally accepted to be true. But what's what was sad about last night's turn is that if you if you go back and you listen to or you read about the US Supreme Court's justices and their line of questioning and their uh, just the stance based on how they were responding and how they were questioning like it's kind of a sad state. Because it doesn't sound like Google did a very good job of arguing their case before the Supreme Court. Bad news. And it sounds like, which there's been a lot of criticisms, that the U.S. Supreme Court justices right now are not tech savvy enough to really wrap their head around what's at stake. Yeah. Um, and then that's that. That I might just don't be, understand the topic. That, that might be too much of a criticism. Like, I, I don't. I don't know our justices intimately. I certainly don't know what their background is in tech. But if you listen to questioning and if you, you just pour through a lot of content uh, related to U.S. Supreme Court justices, they, they're all um, older. 
So I think the youngest is Brett Kavanaugh, who was just confirmed, and he's in his mid-50s, if I'm not mistaken. Everyone else is quite a bit older than that. And they, they don't seem to have a strong understanding of technology, certainly not developer level, you know, <laughs> API call sort of level knowledge. Um, and that doesn't mean that they aren't smart enough to learn it quickly, but it, it's it's a frightening amount of control that they have over something that's pretty critical. And and it seems like they're a little bit removed from really understanding. Yeah, so it it's, it's important to bring up, and I know we got to go. Um, yeah, I got to jump. They, they are very explicitly Oracle are banking on what you just said. It's actually yeah. a part of their strategy. Um, not cool. It is so not cool. Was, just for Go some ahead. stats on that, um, the ages of the Supreme Court justices are 72, 87, 82, 65, 70, 66, 60, 53, and 55. And, and I don't want this to come across negative or, or ageist anyway. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, that it's wasn't very important to point out that one of these, I don't know if it's one of the justices, but during this process over the 10 years, one of the judges who was involved in this case uh started a recess in order for him to go learn Java, like literally oh, that's awesome. code it. So like these guys are putting that's in the really work, cool. Um, yeah, in order cool. to, to yeah, understand man. it, but it's, it's very important to understand that that is definitely a, a part of the strategy here. And there's just a lot of far reaching implications that are, yeah. that are really involved. Yeah. In this thing. And you and- sorry, I need to, I need to say, excuse me here. Cause one of the, one of the ages I listed was RBG's age. Um, and uh, uh, she is no longer with us unfortunately. So, yeah. um, there you have it. Uh, yeah. You, so sorry, I, and, and I do, I do want to say something real quick, just the, I didn't intend for that to be ageist. This is a common criticism of the U S uh, judicial, especially the Supreme court judicial group. It's, it's not just that they're all older. It's that they're older and their backgrounds are not technology. So, uh, it, it's, there's a huge divide between what's being argued and their basis of understanding. So, I would also point out, and this will be the very final point, uh, if you are paying close attention to this, I mean, this is even something you could (laughs) write your senators and stuff about. But if you look at it at face value, the argument that Oracle is making is, we made something, they used it without permission. Mm -hmm. Think about that from the standpoint of most other things that we do in the professional world. And, And understand that at face value, if you don't know anything about it, Yep. It sort of seems like Oracle's right, but they're yeah. not. They're and wrong. one of Google's arguments <laughs> is that it would have taken a lot more money and time to do it differently. Kind of a terrible Absolutely. argument when you're looking at the legal baseline for something. Like, so, again, and, well, lots lots to unpack there, right? Last, yeah, let's, let, just <laughs> iOS would not be owned holistically by, by Apple if this changed. Right. They, but, would owe, they, they would owe money to people. So like for we're definitely going to have to, to get it. into this again, because I, I know we all have more opinions about it. But I also know that we got to wrap this show up today. Yeah. There's a ton and of news there's one more, to talk about. Tyler, I'm sorry. There's one, oh. dr- one, one bomb I wanted to drop to um, AMD. So this came out yesterday, actually. AMD said to be in advanced talks to buy. I think it's pronounced Zilinx. In over a $30 billion deal, if you don't know what Zilinx is, they're an American technology company that develops highly flexible and adaptive processing platforms. So the interesting thing here, um, you know, they invented the field programmable gate array, right? Um, programmable systems on mm-hmm. chips. And so the conversation here is around, you've probably heard CPUs, no doubt, right? You've heard GPUs. Um, and then there's now the concept of DPU, right? A data processing unit. So uh, something to think about, something to go dig into. Just wanted to make sure I got that out there. Sorry, go is ahead. Is DPU just a rebranded FPGA? Is that, or is it different? 
I have a feeling I, I that it, it's focusing on a different area of cool. executing. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go, we'll, we'll have I'm to, tear have into to that. look that up. Yep. All right. But have a great Friday. That's it for today. We didn't touch on all kinds of cool stuff like 3D printed parts, making hands-on throttle and stick setups with your console controllers. But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks for listening, y'all. That closes out another week. Please give us your topics. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. Tell your family. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. Later. Boomer Sooner.